0: Welcome to Whispering Loudly, the award-winning workshop whisperer podcast, as featured by Apple, with Rachel Evans, the number one automotive business coach in the aftermarket, thanks to titanium sponsor, Mechanic Desk, and gold sponsor, Podium.
1: Whispering Loudly is the Workshop Whisperer podcast. Hello, I'm producer Mel and I'm here with Rachel Evans today, aka the Workshop Whisperer, and Brett Crusher-Murray. We're so excited to have him on the podcast. A little bit about Brett. He left home at the age of 16 to start his journalism career in regional New South Wales. And almost four decades later, he's recognised as one of the most knowledgeable, generous and successful media and activation entrepreneurs in the world. His company, BAM Group, is one of the most recognised and respected in the world of sports and major events. While his news website, SpeedCafe.com, is the number one independent motorsport news site in the world. It had more than 50 million page views in 2020, despite the disruption of COVID-19. That's absolutely incredible.
2: To add to that... Very detailed introduction that uh, Mel just did. What can you tell our whispering loudly audience about yourself?
3: I'll oh, probably, be probably a bit humbly, you've done it all for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. I uh, started journalism when I was 16. I left, uh, left school, went and moved, moved and lived in another city and uh, forged my way in the journalism world in Aubrey and Wagga, the River Marina area, and then arrived on the Gold Coast uh, 1989. And then um, set up my own PR company, worked with a newspaper, the Gold Coast Borden, for three odd years. And then in 1992, set up my BAM Media, which then grew into the BAM Group. And then, uh, you know, things have just uh, stemmed from there, really. I lived in the States a couple of times, uh, managed to major events, probably the the, the Gold Coast uh, 600 or Indie 300, as it once was known, was probably the most famous. I looked after that for 16 or 17 years and developed that into one of the world's leading events, Um, looked after many drivers and athletes and other major events over time and, um, you know, enjoy life, uh, have a great family and a great bunch of mates and uh, try and enjoy as much as I can.
2: Well, there is so much to delve into uh, about your career, but I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about the incredible feat of your entry into the 100th Indy 500 in 2016, uh, the world's biggest one-day sporting event. Can you tell us about this achievement and how important was it uh, to you to keep your promise to Sir Jack Brabham in supporting his grandson, Matt?
3: Yeah, well, the, I guess the, the 500 was always a lifelong dream of mine. I went to the first my first race there in 1993 and fell in love with it. It was an amazing place and uh, it's one of those places you can't oversell. You can't tell someone how good it is and then for them to be disappointed, it's just uh, it's massive and, uh, and I made a promise that I would um, have my own team in the event one day, which, uh, which we managed to do it was like okay i keep telling my son that he can do anything he wants to do so uh i better start uh i better shit or get off the pot as they say and uh <laughs> put it together and um you know made it happen and set a bit of an example and just jack, jack was a, a good friend of mine a good friend of the Brabham family and uh i did promise to, to jack before he passed that i'd help him with with matthew's career his grandson and i didn't realize it had mean putting my house on the line by running a car at the 500 but uh Anyway, we did that and, um, yeah, it was certainly one of the highlights of my career and uh, and my family and my mates and all the people that come along on the journey with us.
2: Wow, putting your house on the line, that is big.
3: Yeah, well, thankfully, uh, Matty managed to keep it off the wall and we didn't have to go and live in a tent, so that was, uh, that yeah. was a good result. <laughs>
2: So, uh, Brett, here at the Workshop Whisperer, we've been able to help lots of auto repair shops transform from uh, a business that was close to extinction to become a thriving one. What's your experience with turning something around uh, that could have potentially failed?
3: Oh, I think it's probably a really good one. Um, I've played a role in rescuing several events in Queensland and around, around Australia. Um, but probably the biggest one was in 2009, where A1GP was supposed to replace IndyCar on the Gold Coast and they didn't turn up. And we knew, well, I knew they weren't gonna turn up. Anyway, we, uh, it's a long story short, it's only my book, which I'll get a plug in for the book, um, <laughs> that we documented uh, quite well in, in that book. It's one of, the things, one of the few things I've ever kept a diary on, to be honest. But basically, uh, the event was basically going to be lost. Uh, the government could have actually gone under, and we managed to reorganize, created a, a, a new category called PerTech Legends, and, on some great friends of mine across, you know, the Dick Johnson, common bonds uh, of the world, and we pulled it together in in basically six days. Got cars, drivers, suits, reorganized the entire event, and we still managed to get 220 odd thousand people there over three days, four days. So it was a massive amount of work. I think I had something like eight hours sleep the entire week, uh, including a couple of all-nighters. So it was uh, it was a bit crazy. But we got it done and uh, the event survived and then we actually ended up running the same thing next year with an international flavour that we pulled together. We had ton more time to, to pull it together, but you know, it was one of those things that we just couldn't afford to fail and we just had to keep giving it everything we had. You know, um, The event business is not like selling cans of Coke. You know, Once the Coke's run out, you can finish and go to the bar because you meet your quota. There's always something else that can be done. Mm. And I think that's the same in any business. You know, if you're looking to strive at the best business, the work's never done. Mm. You know?
2: And I guess if I was going to ask you the question about what mindset, what mentality uh, did you need to have at the time, I guess that last sentence that you just said was probably it. The, the work's never done.
3: Yeah, the work's never done. And ironically, that weekend, we actually also launched Speed Cafe the same weekend. So right. a bit of an idea on uh, how much stuff was going on. And uh, we had a house on the track. Uh, that we leased for the course of the event, and I remember going out there on the Sunday night about 11 o'clock, just opening a beer up, looking at the looking at the track, and just and just saying out loud to myself, you know, shit, how do we get that done? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you look back on it now, and it it makes me tired just thinking about it. <laughs> So you've
2: mentioned uh, BAM Group, which was something you did on the side uh, but then formalised um, into your own entity around 1992. Can you tell us a bit about this and what your advice would be uh, to anyone listening to the podcast that might be thinking of starting out uh, in their own shop?
3: Yeah, sure. I, I saw it an opportunity I saw an opportunity in the market in the motorsport space to put my event together. I had some clients lined up. I was still working in the newspaper, sort of set up on the side and then eventually took the punt on uh, pulling it all together. You know, that was a risk. You know, there's always a bit of nervousness about that. And then I guess the next part of that is employing your first person, mm. you know, making sure you get enough money coming in to be able to pay the bills. And then the next one is the second person. After that, it gets easy. Once you've been employed two, it gets easy after that. Yeah. But, you know, they, they're the sort of things you go through early. And I guess, you know, if I was starting again right now and we've got other businesses, we start. So we, you know, other Things that we're you know always trying, and we we try and adapt the 30 years of experience we had, or 30 years plus, and it's you know having an exit strategy is number mm. one. So basically, reverse engineering it, saying, "Oh, well, I'm not going to be here am I'm going to work. this how do I create this into into a business that someone else is going to want if I no longer want it anymore?" And mm. uh, putting the systems in play, things you know, simple things like your record keeping, and just all those things that can make your life easier. Look at the technology that's available. Don't be scared of it and then uh, and use what's, you know, use what's available to you and uh, and just be passionate about it. If, if, if you're not passionate about it, you're not living and breathing it, well, then you're not doing what you need to do. You need to go and do something else.
2: Yeah, great advice. And you said that um, you guys are always trying new things, starting things. Is that where the term activation entrepreneur comes in?
3: Uh, I guess so. Uh, I think the tag that most of them call me an ideas engineer, which is either mm. you think that's a complete wank or you think that's pretty cool. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I'm an ideas guy, so they're yeah. you know, not – not all the ideas always work, um, but you've got to keep trying. And I think that's the great thing about the current environment with technology. What we've got, you can try things and you don't have to spend an enormous amount of money on rolling all this stuff out. You can try it and then you think it's got some traction, then you can continue to do that. Uh, if not, you can pull back and, uh, and head in a different direction. So making sure you remain as nimble as, as possible and uh, being in a situation to be able to pivot off the left or right foot. Depending on uh, which way you're going to go and me, able to adjust, I think is really important.
2: Yes, super important.
0: Join our free Facebook group, Your Profitable Auto Repair Shop, and join in on the conversation with auto repair shop owners just like you globally.
2: So let's talk about speedcafe.com, which you founded in 2009 and has become um, one of the world's leading motorsport news websites. How did this happen and what do you think makes it so successful?
3: Well, it happened because uh, I saw, again, saw a niche in the market and thought uh, there was a gap that needed to be filled. I actually wanted to do it probably 18 months earlier, but I didn't have uh, the cash to do it. And then eventually, you know, through our PR agency, we had some partners who I told about. They were keen to, you know, it's all about relationships, our business, and they were keen to help us do that and uh, put some funds up to help us drive it. A couple of them are still with us today, to this, you know, 13 years later. And it was really taking old school journalistic ethics and apply, applying it to a modern medium. So um, I'm a bit of a, a student of media and how it works and, and talk to that point quite often at different functions or events or in, in a educational sense. And I think that it's one of those things where, you know, you just got to again, you're adapting, trialling things, make sure you have got the right people. We've got, we've had some great journalists over the years, and they've all worked their worked their butts off. You know, a 24/7 news cycle is, you know, a little bit different to a uh, a weekly podcast. With all due respect, mm. you know, like you live, you, you got to live and breathe it. You know, if something goes wrong at two in the morning, then you've got to be on, you know, be on track. And we provide so much uh, information across all forms of major forms of my sport in the world. And obviously geographically, that doesn't work great for us. You know, our guys are up at three in the morning, making sure this stuff happens and pushing it out and making sure that everyone, when they wake up in the morning, knows what's, what's happened and, and how it's progressed. So I think uh, one of the instructions that I've always given my guys is I, I, I want to be first, but I don't want to be wrong. So yes. uh, anyone who comes to our site knows that when they go there, anything on there is, is correct. And that's one of the things the modern medium is—you know, people will rush out a jumbo jet crashes. You know, first thing they do is the journal Google's how many people fit in a jumbo jet. Three hundred forty-eight people dead in a jumbo jet, and then they realise that you know it's on a back flight from Buenos Aires to Rio, and uh, there's three people on it. So all of a sudden you go from three hundred forty-eight people dead to three people dead, and then the audience just, you know starts to become white noise. It's like, what do we believe? What don't we believe? This is all you know all a bit sort of a bit hard you know and I think it's changed a lot in recent the last couple of years but so I think the agencies have actually realised that, that the audience has turned off because of that reason mm-hmm. so they will you know they've actually started to tune that tune up a bit we've never had that issue that was you know my guys always had strict instructions that we've got to be right
2: yep Okay, so one um, final question around customer expectations. What advice do you have for our auto repair shop listeners out there when it comes to the importance of not only meeting your customer's uh, expectation but exceeding it wherever possible?
3: I think it comes down to a pretty basic principle and that's uh, under-promising and over-delivering. So, you know, you're not going to do X amount for a certain amount of money and then surprise them with a bill that's much higher. It's like, okay, we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden, people always like to feel like they're getting value for money. So it's like they want to feel like, you know, they've got a personal relationship with that person. You know, no different to the guy who runs, you know, my shop down the road. I, you know, I, I bought a new car. I didn't even, I just take it straight to him because I trust him and I know I can ring him and say, hey, brother, I've got an issue here. Can you help me out? And he's going to help me out like he'll do. And we've had that relationship that's been built over. 15, 15, 18 years, I guess, you know, and my wife's saying we've both got the same relationship, but all our vehicles have always been serviced through there. So mm. I think that's just, you know, familiarity, you know, you're not getting ripped off. A guy's going to deliver what he says he's going to deliver. If there's an issue, he's honest about it. Okay. This is what it is. This is what's going to cost. This is what it needs to be fixed. And, you know, we've always, uh, we don't, there's no second question about that, you know. I don't think I ever have questioned him at, 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 in, all, in all those years. Yep. So I think, yeah, just under-promising, over-delivering and, and just doing what you say you're going to do and um, people just feel like they're getting value for money. Mm.
2: So get the basics right. Yeah, and
3: I don't think it's always, it's not always about cost if people think they're getting service. Mm. I think there's a lot of that in this country. Like people, just, you know, they're just going for cheap shit all the time, you know, but I think that, you know, it's slowly coming around that people actually pay for a bit extra for value for service and, you know, for quality. And I think that, you know, as time we've seen that, I think during the COVID period, you know, with cheap imports and how and all of a sudden we start to realise the quality of the stuff that's been developed here and, and what mm. we do have access to and how we've let that slip away from us, but how, yeah, you know, there's a great opportunity for that to come back.
2: Yeah, wholeheartedly uh, agree with you there. We very much uh, support our clients to uh, come up with a better value proposition at the Workshop Whisperer, so um, they would be very familiar with what you've just said there and be actively working on that with their customers every day.
0: Take a smoke out and review us on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen.
2: Brett, thank you so much for spending the time with us on the Whispering Loudly podcast today. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure.
3: Thanks for having me. And I hope it's been a bit of use and I look forward to uh, hearing it down the track.
2: Fantastic. Thank you. And if you would like your question answered about your auto repair shop on the next edition of Workshop Whispers on Whispering Loudly, just get in touch by sending an email to admin at workshopwhisperer.com with the subject line Workshop Whispers. See you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Whispering Loudly, the award-winning Workshop Whisperer podcast, as featured by Apple with Rachel Evans, the number one automotive business coach in the aftermarket, thanks to titanium sponsor Mechanic Desk and gold sponsor Podium.